Come on, man, wake up. It's a new season of the Athletes and Assets podcast, but the mission's the same. Your favorite athletes are doing some pretty interesting things off the court, the field, the arena, especially in business. And on this podcast, I have them break down what they're doing in the business world, what moves they're making, and why you should be listening. Lauren, let's skip the small talk. You were the first American woman to win a medal in the Winter and Summer Olympics. But here's what I really want to know. If you and I are going on a vacation, are we going to the beach or are we going to the mountains where it's snowy? Ooh, we're going to the mountains for sure. Oh, no. You don't want to go? No? You don't want to go on vacation with me? I'm a a beach guy. Like, I I feel Mm. like the warm weather, you went to Miami, like the humid, like that's where I, that's me. So, So here's the thing. I love warm weather. I am currently in Argentina as we're speaking, specifically because it's winter in Dallas. <laughs> like, so oh my that's goodness. not a thing for me. Like, I, I love warm weather, okay. but I'm not really a beach person. You gave me beach or mountains as an option. Okay. And so I'm picking mountains because I'm thinking to myself, like, oh, I'll go skiing for a couple of days, but I also don't want to live where it's going to be winter. Like, I'm going to leave those mountains. I can maybe hike a little bit. Like, that's not my thing. Like, I'm not, like, a hiker. Right. But if you give me beach versus mountains, like... I'm picking mountains on a limited basis. I'm picking beach like, meh, never. Oh, okay. Okay. So what's what's your issue with the beach? You, you wouldn't live there or like what? It's wet. It's sandy. Like the sand gets in your butt. Like, like it's just weird. I, I'm, I'm not okay. a water person. I'm an earth sign. I'm a Virgo. Okay. So okay. yeah, I, I can swim, but I just don't like, I love it to be hot, but I don't need the water. Okay. It's an honor to, to, to chat and, and be with someone with such incredible athletic feats. You've been to a couple Olympics, uh, you know, you've done track and bobsledding. What is the best memory you're going to tell your grandkids about what you accomplished? Um, I think best memories are going to be always related to food. Those are probably the ones that I'm going to really tell, like you said, behind the scenes people. The one that I usually tell that is really a great memory that, you know, like I speak in engagements and such, is when our sled broke. So two days before the Olympic Games, we wrecked our sled and basically totaled it. Uh, so a sled is like $80,000. There's not like five extra sleds laying around. And it's very specific to the driver of the bobsled. So we were the USA one sled, favored to get the medal. So now it became really contentious. Like, are we going to take the USA two sled because we were the, the ones with the most medal potential? Or like, can they fix our sled? They spent all night fixing our sled. And and it was a new sled overall technology-wise. So we're like, did they really fix it? Like, how how did you fix it? Um, they stole parts from a, like, prototype sled we had sitting in the usa house for like people to take pictures with and chill <laughs> sled oh got God. fixed yeah but it was an incredibly intense time so the last practice before the olympic games we go down we're kind of like nervous and pensive we have the fastest time of the day and we get back to the top so basically what happens you slide down an icy mountain you put your sled on this truck and then you go back to the top of the mountain we get to the top of the mountain and there's all the teams kind of lined up like cheering for us because everyone knew like what we had been through in the last 24 hours. And they were just excited that we were going to be able to compete for our chance to possibly win. And it was just like unbelievable. Like who cares about what happens in the actual competition? Like it was like standing ovation. Let's go. So, you know, so happy for you guys. And that was like a really cool memory. And was that in Sochi or was that in China? Sochi. Sochi. Okay. Wow. 2014. Yeah. That's crazy. And, I guess, what are, 
the translatable sprinting skills of track to bobsledding? Like, what what was some of the adjustments that like you needed to make to to you know be a good bobsledder? Yeah, so bobsled is a power sport, and I'm a power sprinter. So okay. there's t- some people that are taller, longer, lankier sprinters, like and Allison Felix as an example. She's not a power sprinter, but you know we go toe to toe because she's you know she's got power in a different way. She's able to apply force differently than I'm able to apply force. So uh, I'm going to be a lot more heavy in the weight room and those sorts of things. Um, and that is what you need to be good at bobsled. You need to be able to basically power clean the sled or hang clean the sled out of your way and then run behind it as fast as possible. Like I'm the Flintstone feet to get the, get it going. So if it doesn't get going fast enough on the front end, you can't gain additional velocity, you know, too many other places in the track if you already started out slow. You Obviously you train a different way than you would for, for sprinting. Um, you know, talk about that mm-hmm. process and are you working with different kind of strength training or are you running in the snow? Like it's just such a – I think it's, it, it's a fascinating sport that we watch once every four years, but I don't think there's enough knowledge on the work it takes to, to get to that point. Yeah. And Bob says like so many other sports that, you know, they only highlight during the Olympics, but there's a season that's happening every year. So for the true fans, you can tune in online. Um, there's a world cup season that's happening each and every year, uh, during the winter months. So it usually starts in October, November ish and finishes out around February. But the big differences between track and bobsled from a training perspective is that you don't have to go quite as far. So I was a hundred meter runner, so I didn't have to run that far in the first place. Bobsled, right. I'm running, you know, 15, 20 meters before I jump in. But I need to be able to, like I said, really be powerful. So I'm doing a lot more weight workouts, which, like I said, I was already kind of a, a strength athlete as it pertains to how I did track. But it was like right. I got so much more strong in order to be able to – the bobsled is like 400 pounds. So being able to just lift the bobsled itself to move it around and go to practice and everything. Yeah, you, you've got to be pounds? able to – I know, right? I mean, it looks heavy, <laughs> but, like, when you actually hear the actual number and the weight of it, like – that shit's mm-hmm. heavy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and then the other big difference would be, like you said, temperature. So you've got to be able to figure out how to warm yourself up to sprint the same way you would as, a, as you would as an Olympic track and field athlete. But sometimes the weather is like negative 17 degrees. There's not a big fancy, you know, warm place where everybody's warming up. Like you're outside in the snow with snow pants on. So you're heavier, you're constricted, and you got to get your muscles going like same speed that you would with track and field. Everyone sees the accolades. We, we see the, um, we see that you on TV, but, um, we don't, we don't see you and your training partners yelling at each other in the snow or like trying to warm up and, and all the stuff behind the scenes, which is really what I'm just genuinely curious about. And so thanks for sort of, you know, giving us a peek behind that. The next phase of life, Lauren, worth winning. Okay, so very long story short is that I became a professional athlete at the age of 20. It was not really a goal or aspiration of mine, so I became a four-time Olympian, and I didn't grow up wanting to be one, right? Um, I got a sponsorship through Nike at, like I said, age 20 as a junior in college, and immediately was like, oh my goodness, what do I do? I come from a family, five sisters, two brothers, um, not a lot of income. My dad had um, leukemia during much of my childhood, so wasn't able to work. Um, not a lot of financial literacy. So I knew that I had an opportunity with this new contract and this six-figure income, but I had no idea what to do with it. So a family friend introduced me to a financial advisor. I didn't know that there were different types of financial advisors at the time. Um, 
And I ended up in the hands of someone who was very investment focused when I had no financial literacy. So investing in and of itself, we know is not a bad thing, but financial literacy is a key foundational piece of the puzzle before you invest. Um, and I didn't have that piece of the puzzle. So very long story short is that it didn't work out with him, hired another guy, thought that was going to go better. It didn't. That company actually ended up going under after a big scandal where a bunch of NFL players invested their money in a casino. Casino didn't open. They lost all their money. I was fortunate that I didn't have millions, so I didn't get to invest in a casino, but wasn't well cared for at that place either. And was like, okay, what the heck do people do when they're willing to pay for advice? They're trying to optimize their finances. They don't know what the heck is going on. Um, and they, they need help. And good old-fashioned Google led me to what we call the certified financial planning, which is a completely different part of the industry that is not just investment-focused, but really focused on the whole person and all aspects of their finances. As I was learning things, I was like, hey, Noah, are you doing this with your finance? And you'd be like, what? Huh? And I'm like, oh, my friends don't know this either. So I realized that there was a gap in the industry. Young professionals and professional athletes were not getting this information. Um, and we weren't being served appropriately to be able to really take meaningful action with our finances. So Worth Winning was kind of born out of necessity for myself. And it is a financial planning company that helps young professionals and professional athletes optimize their finances. So who, who gave you that early trust and was like, Lauren, like, how do I keep the bag? How do I grow it? You know, did it? Did you have imposter syndrome at first managing finances of, of young athletes? I mean, talk about that. Like, that's a big deal. You're managing like money is access to like freedom and everything. Like, you are semi responsible for that. Like, how do you take? Yes, that all the imposter syndrome. Like, why am I doing this? Oh my god, this is so scary. What if I screw it up? Like, this is other people's money, but also like where they are and you know where i learned that my friends were is like we can't afford to stay here so help me helping them a little bit is better than them not getting any help at all is kind of what i had to keep telling myself to get over the imposter syndrome as i kind of got those reps and got the experience and i mean the cool thing about athletes is that we're, we're pretty down to earth and that's what i wanted for myself was someone to talk to me in real i didn't want like in the roi of your rpg and the blah 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 like all these terms being thrown at you and people talking over your head so I show up to my meetings, you know, in T-shirts, um, you know, I'm not putting on all the fancy terms. I'm, you know, how's your day going? <laughs> you know, you can swear in my meetings. Sometimes I swear in my meeting. Like I create that real environment so that you feel comfortable being able to talk about your finances because that's what I wanted. Is there a trend that athletes are spending, like spend on a certain thing that just pisses you off that you're like, stop, like putting your money in that direction? If if not, no worries. But I feel like everyone has a, a pet peeve in sort of the sort of the leisure spend area, and like you're like, why would you spend that? For my gentlemen, it's always the car, um, <laughs> and for the ladies, it is you know makeup, hair, nails, and I'm pretty simple, so I think that's probably part of it. Is like I've got natural hair, very seldom get my nails done, don't wear makeup, and so it's really hard for me to understand why the budget has to include eyebrows, eyelashes, uh, hair, nails, and clothes, and all of them are like I, I can't I can't uh, negotiate on any of these things, and I'm like what. Like, we don't need a $1,000 a month, like, look good budget. Like, you're already an athlete. Like, you have a nice body. Like, that's 90% of the battle for most people. Yeah, 100%. Do they, does, do your, your clients, do, do you, they allow you to sort of, you go through all their accounts 
and sort of do you have you, you, you I don't know if it's a spreadsheet or or sort of a database where you see where the different funnels of their life where their money is going and and you you analyze it and, and provide feedback and suggestions is that sort of the the cadence of, of how you interact with them Yes, that is step number one. And, and in fact, when I hang up with you, that that is where I'm heading is to uh, initial meeting. So our very first meeting is always getting to know the, the person that I'm working with. We do like a 90 minute. I have a set of questions that I ask to just kind of understand like what makes you tick? You know, what are your values? What are your visions? Because ultimately money is a tool that helps you live the life you want. So I need to know what kind of life you want so we know how to set up your money accordingly. We can jump into the nuts and bolts immediately, but if I don't really get what you're trying to do, it's something inevitably is going to fall apart. So that initial meeting after getting to know you is jumping right into the budget, understanding what your spending is, stabilizing income, because as athletes, our income kind of does like this. You have a really good season. You get an extra sponsor. You know, something goes wrong. You're injured and you don't have any money coming in for a while. All those sorts of things are happening. And it's really hard to understand, like, okay, well, what can I be spending in these moments? which is why it's important to create a budget of like, here's your baseline expenses. Here's what we're going to do to make sure that we, we can cover these all the time. And then everything else is extra. So, and I'm nervous asking you this, Lauren, but can I ask for a free consultation from you? And, and uh, can you ask me some questions and can, can we, t can we see if I'm managing my money correctly? Um, yes. You know, I mean, I'm a young guy. I'm in tech. I live in San Francisco. Um, I cost a living. <laughs> so so i mean can we can we sort of uh break that down and and hopefully i don't regret this when uh, in the future <laughs> maybe you will <laughs> right let's let's kind of go through a checklist so let's start with that like budgeting okay. piece of the puzzle do you have a budget oh this uh, is bad <laughs> there was a long hesitation <laughs> in my head i have a budget Okay, so so we need a budget. And so this is something that a lot of people skip over because they're like, well, I got a lot of money. I'm, I'm spending less than I earn and it, everything's okay. My bills are getting paid. But if you don't actually clearly understand what's coming in and what's going out, you don't know what your opportunity is to be able to optimize your finances. Like where where is my opportunity for savings? And everyone has a black hole when they don't have a real budget of like money that's going somewhere that could be going somewhere more productive. So that's okay. piece number one of the puzzle. Piece okay. two. I do not have a budget. We got to get you a budget. Number two, emergency fund. Do you have an emergency fund? I have a savings account. <laughs> okay. See, this is, this is good. I'm, I'm glad, it, I'm glad we're doing a, this. It's not an emergency fund? It's not an emergency fund per se. And, 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 and that's separate from uh, my 401k. It, that's good. That is good to have savings separate of your 401k, but you need to, like you said, to the point of the budget, budgeting is telling your money where to go. This is allocated for this. This is allocated for that. This is allocated for the XYZ thing. So savings account in general, not a bad thing at all, but what are we saving for? So I like for my clients to have two savings accounts, one that is specifically their emergency fund, which is three to six months of your take-home pay. So that's different than what you would read on the internet. Most people say three to six months of expenses, but what as athletes one, it's hard to really know what our expenses are. Same thing as an entrepreneur, things are up, down, income is a little bit weird. So you can't go really off of expenses. We need to stabilize income and then we need to do three to six times that. Um, and if you're an athlete or an entrepreneur, you take on a lot more risk. So really we should be more in the six to 12 months of savings. And so the next okay. thing I always get is like, oh, my God, you want me to save six times what I bring home? So let's say you bring home 10 grand a month, $120,000 a year. 
pretty reasonable. Look, okay. actually, you're pretty poor in San Francisco with that, but neither here nor there. Nice round number. $10,000 a month is coming home. Uh, we need at least a $30,000 emergency fund. And some people come from a background, I know I certainly do, where no one ever had $30,000 just laying around doing nothing, much less right. $300 laying around doing nothing. So it's a really hard thing sometimes to process like, oh, I need $30,000 doing nothing or maybe even $60,000 doing nothing. This is not the money that you're making work for you. This is not your 401k. This is not your investment amount account. This is just money okay. sitting waiting in the event that an emergency happens. So that's thing number two. Are you ready Got for it. the next question? I, I, let's, let's keep going. All yes. right. Do you have debt? And when I say debt, not a car note, not a mortgage, but like some sort of like care now card or credit card that you don't pay in full every month or anything that you owe somebody for besides your, your house and your car. The student loans count. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I do. <laughs> okay. So I do. See, this is the thing. So you absolutely need a plan for your student loan debt. And this is one that a lot of people have been missing out on because COVID started. So pre-COVID, a lot of people were sticking their head in the sand. And then once COVID came, everybody stuck their head in the sand. Student loan payments are going to pick back up and you need to have a plan in place for your student loans. Now, right, the thing they, about, keep pushing, they keep pushing those loans off. You know what they I mean? Do. Like, yeah. And everyone's going to be really disappointed when they cut back on, which is why you need the budget. You should be budgeting for, let's say it was a $300 payment before COVID. You should be getting $300 a month right now mentally, because otherwise that money got absorbed into your lifestyle and it's going to hurt a lot more when it's time to start paying those student loans. Um, additionally, you might have a really low student loan balance and maybe it makes more sense to pay them off. So you could have spent your time during COVID saving that $300 so that when the payments cut back on, you make a big lump sum payment toward them, knock them out or knock them way down. And then you can take care of the rest, but you might have a really big student loan balance. And I see this all the time. I've seen up to a million dollars in student loans. That's a real thing. <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I, I'm not there, thank God. But like, gosh, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> pretty much orthodontists. Those are the ones exclusively that have that much debt. But two, $300,000 is pretty regular. So six-figure student loan debt, you have to really be strategic. It's not always that you need to be work figuring out how to pay those back. It might be that you need to be going for some sort of forgiveness. There's public service loan forgiveness, and there's another thing called taxable forgiveness. And just last week, a, um, pro a program came out from President Biden. It's called the, the new revised pay-as-you-earn plan. And that could be a game changer. It's yet another way to optimize your finance. That could be a whole other podcast. So I'm not going into it, but you need a plan for your student loan debt and know what your plan is because your plan and your friend's plan are not the same. So understood. We didn't, we didn't pass that test, but never fear, never fear. Okay. Okay. Let's keep no, going. Okay. Let's keep going. <laughs> All right. So this we got your budget. We got your emergency fund. We got the debt. Uh, now we okay. got to talk about, uh, are you saving for retirement? Um, you said there's, you said 401k, you mentioned that. So you have a 401k available yes. to you and you're yes. putting at least the employer match into it. Does your employer uh, match? So. Um, currently, no, my previous one did. Okay. 
Um, I don't think my current one does, but I'll have to check the sort of the HR, my HR account and it, it, it see, but it's a okay. Good, it's a so, good so if you're optimizing your finances, you need to know what your 401k offers you. So okay. a lot of people get upset when they don't match. That's not the end of the world. Of course, it's good when they do, because that's extra money going into your 401k. But ultimately, you're going to be responsible for saving for your own retirement. And whether or not they're matching, you need to be putting some money in there. Um, okay. At least you need to be doing what they match. So usually it's 3% 100%. or 6% that they match. Um, so they're putting in six, you're putting in six, you're at least saving 12% of your income. That's really great. But putting in the match is not enough. You should be saving roughly 20% of your income. So go back to my example. You're earning $10,000 a month, $120,000 a year. You know, it's basically, what is that? 24,000. Is that good math? Yeah. Ish. I'm moving fast here, but 20% of your income should be saved. Oh, 30,000 actually. Yeah, 30,000 is 20%. Neither here nor there, you need to be saving. Well, you're only saving like six grand, seven grand. You can save 22,500 into your 401k. Uh, a lot of people don't know that there's a that you can put that much in. They're like, oh, I'm doing 3%. Oh, I'm doing 4%. Like, they're not doing the math on what percent is the right percent for me. Um, okay. Easy thing, number one, to do. Like, people are like, oh, I got to get an Acorns account and a Robinhood account. And, a, you know, what are you invested in? Just do your 401k first. When you can do the whole 22500 and you still got money left over, that's when you start looking at some of these other options that are available. So Understood. From there, we got to talk insurance. So a lot of young professionals are like, ooh, insurance, it's weird, it's creepy. Like, and there's a lot of like slimy insurance salesmen out there. So you want to be careful. Right. We, we, let's talk insurance because I, I, I've definitely had my, my bumps with insurance, but, I, but it's allowed me to learn a little about insurance. So mm-hmm. let, let's, let's talk about it. So my recommendation for insurance is that you get term life insurance, not whole life, not universal life, not variable life insurance. And those are the things that someone is going to try to sell you initially is whole variable universal because they're going to have higher premiums, which means the person selling it to you gets paid more money. The what, re- and what does term life insurance mean? Term is when you have the insurance for a set period of time. So you have the insurance for 30 years and then it stops. And people are like, oh, but then it's over and I don't have life insurance anymore, Lauren? Yes, that's exactly how it works. The same way with health insurance, car insurance, you pay some money every month and you don't get anything back for it. Life insurance has been sold as a narrative as like this investment vehicle that everybody needs to take advantage of. It's not an investment vehicle. It's, it's just, it's insurance. It helps you in the event of a catastrophe, that catastrophe being death. So let's take whole life versus um, term as an example. Let's say about $50 a month is going to be for a million dollar policy for you. If you get a whole life policy, it's going to be about $500 a month. So difference between okay. those two, 450 bucks a month, right? Yes. Okay. So we got the same million dollars of insurance. If you do it for 30 years on a term, you can pay 50 bucks a month. After 30 years, it goes away. And for you to do this other one, it's $500 a month, which is a big, you know, chunk out of your regular budget. And it never it's stops. Big difference. Yeah. You got to pay 500 your whole life. That's why it's called whole life insurance. That's, that's like, that's like San Francisco parking. That's like parking garage uh, money every month in a parking garage. See? Don't exactly. Ask, don't ask me how I know that. <laughs> But Don't ask me how I know that. What else could you do with that money? Like, if I could pay fifty bucks a, a month, that extra four fifty I could be investing. You can't tell me yes. that you know thirty years from now by investing four hundred and fifty dollars a month, like you're probably going to have that same million dollars in the bank by that time. Like, save that money, put it in an investment vehicle, and thirty years from now, when your insurance runs out because you only had it for a serious uh, term, 
you don't need the insurance anymore because now you have wealth. That's right. the difference versus being stuck with this whole life insurance that's still the million dollars, still your $500 a month, and you can't really do anything with it. So term life insurance, go research that. That's my recommendation. Even if you're young yes. and you're single, you're like, oh, I don't need, like, it's cheaper when you're young and single. And um, I got two more for you. I don't know if you. I feel, oh, right. let's keep it going. <laughs> okay, it going. okay. We got to go fast. Going. I know. So let's go. taxes, uh, are you working with an accountant or are you doing your taxes on your own? I work with an accountant. Okay. And you're sure that your person is an accountant, a CPA or an enrolled agent? Do either of those yes. sound? Perfect. We, get, we got yes. one. This is the A Did I check a you. box? You checked I the check, box. Check, check that shit. I got it. Yes. I got it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Yes. One time for Matt. <laughs> so why this is important is because a lot of people work with like a tax preparer. So Aunt Susie does my taxes or I go to H&R Block and I get my taxes done. A tax preparer doesn't necessarily have to have any real education. Like you and I could go online today, get a TIN number, and both be tax okay. preparers. Um, we might be okay at doing taxes, but we don't actually have any certifications. We don't have any continuing education, and we might suck at doing taxes. So mm -hmm. <laughs> don't go with someone that's just, that just does taxes. You want to go with a CPA um, because they're qualified, and they can also represent you in court should something happen with your taxes, like you get audited or something like that. For sure. Um, and the same thing with an enrolled agent. They're, they're trained specifically to do taxes, and they have continuing education. So that's why that's important. Spend the money on the accountant because it's like, oh, I don't want to spend the extra couple to 100 bucks. Like, what if you're missing out on a, a couple thousand dollars of savings because you're doing it yourself versus having someone who's trained to be able to do it for you? Right. Wow. All right, last but not least, do let's, you yep, have any see. documents in place should something happen to you? Where's all your stuff going to go if you kick the bucket now? Um, what does kicking the bucket mean? Dying. <laughs> oh. Um, I, I got to ask my parents because I, I think we have something in no, place. But no, no, no. I, I got to ask my, my dad. Fail, fail, fail. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> All right. I, I didn't say no. I just said I don't know. Like <laughs> that that sounds like a no. If you have not signed anything, you don't remember going and meeting with the lawyer specifically to have these documents put in place, then you don't have them. It might be that your oh, parent man. has them. So like they pass away, then everything goes to you and your sibling or whatever the case may be. Some of it goes to charity, blah blah blah. Like it's important, though, because like I said, young professionals, we, we skip over this. We're like, oh, we don't need that. I don't have an estate. I'm, I'm still building wealth, Lauren. Um, you need documents yeah. in place if, like, you are incapacitated. Someone needs to make decisions on your behalf. It could be your parents, but what if you have a significant other that you want to make those decisions and you're, not, you're, you're estranged from your parents? Um, what if your significant other is closer by than your parents? There's not automatically someone who gets to make those decisions. Paperwork has to be put right. in place. So that's yet another hurdle that they're going to have to encounter if something happens. So they're already stressed out because you're having some sort of emergency and now they got to go through this paperwork process. And then what if your significant other and your parents don't get along? Like now they're like, I want to make the decisions. No, I want to make the decisions. It's better that you put documents in place that says this is what happens if. So healthcare directive uh, will help you get your healthcare managed, uh, financial power of attorney. So someone can pay your bills while you're, you know, unable to do so yourself uh, a will is a thing so the will is going to be like if i kick the bucket i want my stuff you know i want my sister to get my cat i want so-and-so to get and, my favorite t-shirt and, and whatever and you encourage even like sort of even young people to 
to you know get the will you know arranged and all that stuff even at an yes. early age yes because we people die all the time just because yeah. we're young and healthy we're not expecting to die of course i want to live till i'm 100 but yeah come on lauren i don't want to kick the bucket you know yeah, what i'm saying exactly like, and this is why we don't want to do these documents and this is why we don't want to think about it because they're like i'm young and i'm healthy but you could totally kick okay. the bucket today or tomorrow and then someone would have to figure all this stuff out and it's going to be really stressful for them because you didn't leave anything behind telling them what to do. And to this point, same thing, no insurance, no, no emergency fund. Who's going to pay for your funeral? This is where you see all those GoFundMes. Everybody put $50 in because Noah kicked the bucket. <laughs> like, you might have money in your bank account, but nobody can even access it because wow. you didn't have proper, proper documents in place. Or you have nothing, and now everybody's got to chip in to to take care of your burial costs. Like, we don't want wow. that. I'm I'm sort of in in shock of, <laughs> of how much I need to sort of get my shit together with the seven pillars of financial literacy by Lauren. Well, thank you, thank you for 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 breaking that down with me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like I said, it's, wow. it's important because people don't realize. Like we when we think about money management, we think about investing. That's it. Um, but yes. there's so much more to your story and really being able to optimize your full financial picture. I, I can't think enough. That's, that's amazing. And thanks for, for going through that with me. To end, I would like to hard pivot and talk to you about what are you listening to right now? Talk to me about your playlist, five songs that are in, your, in rotation that you, know, you, you want to sort of uh, us to be put onto today. You got anything um, in there? Yeah, I do. I do. So I am currently learning Spanish. Like I said, I mentioned I'm in Argentina right now. And Amazing. I've been listening to Spanish music since then because I'm trying to like pick up like the sounds and everything. So one of my favorite, uh, Bad Bunny, he's pretty universal. Like a lot of people yes. who don't even speak Spanish like Bad, Bad Bunny. So Estamos Bien is my, is my yes. go-to jam. And then there's another one, Morena, Morena Mia by Miguel Bose. So those are my two Spanish songs. And okay. then I'm kind of old school overall. So It's All Good by Will Smith is a song that I like. Um, go back if you've never heard it before. It's a really nice, upbeat, like it just makes you feel happy. And I like music that like is all about like lifting you up. I'm not into like the gang banging, let's kill each other, you know, <laughs> kind of music Respect. anymore. Yeah, kind of. for sure. <laughs> I've kind of graduated from that stage of life. Um, uh, Whitney Houston's song called Million Dollar Bill. And then this by Darius Rucker, who is a country Ooh. singer. So I've got a little Spanish music, got some R&B yeah. in there. I've got some pop. I got country. Yeah. Oh, I always, I always love the playlists that are just diverse and like I, 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 I like, I like to get a little flavor of everything. And um, I, you know, I listen to all my guest playlists, so I'll, I'll be jamming out and, and seeing how. Uh, we mix from Bad Bunny to Darius Rucker in the same right. sort of 20 minutes. That'll be, <laughs> that'll You're be gonna love process. it. You're going to have a really yes. good day the day you listen to my playlist. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for joining me. Um, thank you for taking me through sort of your financial process. And it's an honor to have someone of your you know, athletic, intellectual, professional background come on and, and, and chop game with us. So thank you so much. I am so glad I was able to come. Look forward to working with you in the future. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that, please subscribe on Spotify or give us a like or a follow on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. You know where to find us at Athletes and Assets.